Moms can be a portrait of God. Their, their love, their actions can display the kind of love that God has for us. And so today, we want to honor moms who have been such moms, whose love has, has enriched our lives and has given us a glimpse of who God is. We, we want to <clears throat> encourage moms who have given so much and, and we want to honor you. In fact, we, we understand that when we honor moms, we honor God because God said, honor your father and your mother. It's one of the most important commandments. And, and for those of you moms who sometimes are uncertain or are struggling, we want you to be encouraged by, by the love of God today. If, if you're a mom who's made a lot of mistakes and, and who uh, just regrets a lot of things, I hope that today you would be encouraged by the redeeming love of God that, that reaches and fills in the gaps for you. If you're one of those children that grew up in a home that was loving and encouraging, I hope that today you'll thank God for that. And if you grew up in a home that was rough and dysfunctional and, and you didn't see God so readily, I hope that today you will be encouraged in knowing that God's love is present and God's love always wins. That's the story that we want to tell today. And we want to go to one of the uh, narrations where this is evident in the birth of a child and the love that saves him. And it is found in the book of Exodus chapter two, beginning with verse one. Exodus two, beginning with verse one. And this is the way the Bible reads. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, he said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. So here we have this story of Moses, the one that God chose to be the deliverer of the people of God from bondage. He will become prominent for his people. He will become a very famous figure, but this is the story of his birth. And at his birth, we see the love of a mother at work. And I want to, uh, for us to note a couple of things, two or three things about this love and, and, and things that can also apply to us that, that are also relevant to us today. And the first thing that I want to point out is that love redeems behind the backdrop. Behind the story of Moses, there is an invisible hand at work. There is no mention of God in the 10 verses that I just read to you. 
But nevertheless, God is present behind the scenes. God's love was not readily evident to the people of Israel who were going through this time. Sometimes that happens to us. Sometimes we're going through life and we see the circumstances and everything seems to be wrong and we wonder what God's love is. What was it that they were going through? What were the circumstances in the birth of Moses? What were the headlines of the day? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter one, you'll remember that the Israelites had come to Egypt because of a famine and under Joseph. And then the Bible says that they had grown so much that they filled the land. This is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abram that his descendants would become numerous. And so here they fill the land, but not everybody's happy about these foreigners filling the land. This population explosion was not something that the king liked because this was a new king that didn't care for Joseph and didn't care for the Hebrews. And he saw these foreigners as a threat to national security. And so he took on some policies to mitigate the growth of these Hebrews in the land of Egypt. The first thing that he did is he, he forced labor. He made them slaves of the Egyptians. And, and here are the Hebrews thinking, okay, God kept his promise that he was making us, he was gonna make us numerous, but why did he make us numerous? Only so that Pharaoh would make us slaves? Is this God's plan? Is this God's love for us? Is this what God meant when he made the promise to our father Abraham? So here they are in slavery and bondage, suffering. And in spite of that forced labor, they continue to multiply greatly. And so Pharaoh says, I'll come up with a second policy. This time what I'll do is I'll talk to the midwives, the ones that deliver the babies, and I will tell the Hebrew midwives that if a baby girl is born, if a Hebrew baby girl is born, keep her. But if a Hebrew baby boy is born, kill him. That's a cruel thing to do. It's a cruel way to, to control the population, but that's what the king did. That was the law of the land. Thankfully, the midwives decided to disobey the law of the land because of their compassion and love for these babies that were being born. They decided, because sometimes the law of the land and compassion will clash and you'll have to make a choice. And these midwives chose wisely. They chose to fear God rather than man. And, and so uh, th that plan of Pharaoh didn't work. So Pharaoh said, okay, well, I'll take it up a notch. If the midwives are not killing the baby boys, then I'm going to give an order that anybody who sees a Hebrew baby boy is to throw him into the river Nile to drown. Imagine being a Hebrew family and expecting a baby and being afraid that if the baby that is born is gonna be a boy, any Egyptian citizen has been authorized to take your baby from you and throw him in the river to drown. That's the kind of headlines, that's the kind of circumstances that the Hebrews were living. I wonder what they thought about God's promise. I wonder what they thought about God's love. I saw a friend of mine who I went to seminary with many, many years ago. Uh, he is a pastor and an evangelist, a creative evangelist. His name is Eugenio, Puerto Rican guy. He goes by Chaggy because he dresses like 
clown. And he travels around the world, goes into close countries in the Middle East and, and goes into places in Asia that are hard to reach. And he takes comedy. And uh, as people laugh, then he introduces the gospel message. And I followed him and admired his ministry for a long time. And, and this week I, I saw him again. And as we were catching up with each other, he told me something I didn't know about him. And it is about the way that he grew up. He said, do you know that my grandmother was addicted to alcohol and to drugs? Do you know that I grew up as her grandson, sometimes having to pick my grandmother up from the streets where she had passed out because of, of the chemical substance abuse and carry her home? And then the next day the cycle would begin again. He said, do you know that my father was so promiscuous that I have throughout my life continued to meet brothers of mine that I didn't know? He's, and he started telling me about the circumstances of his life and, and how he grew up in a rough way. And I, and I began to look at his eyes and thinking what an awful thing it must have been to grow up like that with a dad and a mom and, and a family that does not fear God and that lives in that kind of a way. And with the sparkle that, that he has in his eyes, he told me, but you know what, Julio? God used the rugged way in which I grew up so that I could reach people that other people cannot reach today. She says, do you know that I've had opportunity to sit down with cartel members and tell them about the love of God? She says, do you know that recently I baptized a sicario and, and I told them that now he was a new person because Jesus has saved him and that he didn't have to wear his nickname anymore because his, his name that his mom gave him meant something and he can live the life that God meant for him to live in the beginning. Now, I'm not saying that God causes suffering in people's lives, but I'm saying that sometimes God uses our circumstances to prepare us for something else. And what we see in the life of Moses is a God who is invisibly working in the background. When you're surrounded by adverse circumstances, remember this. Remember that the love of God is always redeeming in the background when you see it and when you don't see it. Secondly, we see in the scriptures here that love risks because it believes. Love is risky. It, it, you become vulnerable and, and, and you uh, expose yourself. And, and often when you love, you don't know if you're going to be loved back. Moms pour of themselves into the lives of children, sometimes not to even receive a thank you back. Love is risky. That's the way God loves us. But love also believes, love hopes for the best, and these, think, these two things are related. Look at the description of God's kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13, a familiar passage. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what makes the risking doable. When you know that you're loving with hope, that, that, you, that the love that you have believes and waits on God, you wait for that planted seed of, of your love being poured out into the life of another person to, to sprout and, and to blossom one day. When, the, when Moses' mother gave birth to him, she laid out eyes on him and she saw him and, and she knew she couldn't throw this baby boy in the river to be drowned. 
that instant love connection that a mother has for her baby when she holds him in her arms kept her from doing that and pushed her to do something very risky. She hid him for three months. Somehow for three months she managed to hide this baby boy so that the nosy neighbors would not notice. She nursed him and cared for him and kept him quiet in the house so that he would have a chance at life. It was at the risk of being found out, at the risk of somebody telling on her, at the risk of somebody arresting her and tell, taking her to where she would be in prison for the crime of keeping a Hebrew baby boy. Why would she take this chance? Why would she take this risk? Because she had hope. Because she believed that somehow things would work out against all odds. And when hiding became impossible, she, she took an ark and a little basket and waterproofed it and, and she placed the baby boy uh, in that basket and took another risk that was higher than the first one. She, she placed him in this basket and placed the basket among the reeds of the riverbank in the Nile River. It seems ironic, doesn't it? That's where the Pharaoh said to throw the babies. And now she's placing him in that very same river, not to drown, but in an ark that spoke of salvation, spoke of redemption, spoke of being in the midst of a dangerous environment. Here the future deliverer of Israel rests safely in the ark in a sense, Pharaoh's, uh, Moses' mom was doing what Pharaoh had said to do. She placed the baby in the river. He didn't say anything about baskets, did he? And as much care as she took of providing this small ark for the baby, she still was risking much because placing the baby there, perhaps no one would notice, perhaps it would blend in with the reeds and, and from time to time she could check on him and continue to feed him and care for him from a distance, but, but perhaps the baby would be found out and, and someone would, would uh, kill him, someone would take this baby that was illegal and kill him. But, but she had to take this chance. She had to release. One of the hardest things to do when you love someone is to release him. Our selfish love wants, wants to keep and, and wants to hold and wants to smother and wants to control those that we love always. But genuine love knows that you have to release, that, that releasing is necessary. It's risky, but it's necessary. We begin to release our children when, when we dedicate them as babies here, when, when we have a baby dedication, we're saying, God, this, this baby is yours, not mine. We begin to release. Mom releases the baby when she walks him to the kindergarten class and she lets go of that little hand and, and that child goes in and they're separated for half a day. That's the beginning of some releasing. We release our, our children when, when they go into surgery and we have to wait in the waiting room. They're in the hands of the surgeon and most importantly in the hands of God and, and as we wait, we are releasing them to him. We release our children when they pack their stuff and they go off to college and we give a hug and we give all the advice we know how to give and we remind them to text us, if not call us 
and we turn around and the tear rolls down our cheek because this little baby boy, baby girl that we held in our arms one time is now an adult going off to college. We release. We release when we give our daughter's hand in marriage and she takes on a new last name. And we remember that our children were never ours to keep. They were always part of a plan of God to prepare them so that they could be released. That's what happens here. Moses' mother loved him so much that she releases him with faith. She releases him because she believed in the possibility of a long life. There was no guarantee, but she hoped for the best. I met a family a few months ago. Mother's name is Marta. Marta lives in the Bachman Lake area of Dallas-Fort Worth. Right next to Dallas Love Field is, it's an area about three miles uh, uh, radius. And in that area, 57%, uh, less than 57% of, of people have a high school diploma. It's, it's, it's an area that has poverty and economic uh, instability. The CPS removal rate at Bachman Lake is double the average of Dallas County. And this family, Marta's family, lived, lives in a one-bedroom apartment in this neighborhood, five children, mom and dad, and every time they go into their apartment, they're reminded of the kind of neighborhood that they live in because there are men loitering in the parking lot, drinking all day long, selling drugs. There are young ladies early in the evening standing in the corners. There are gang members. Last year, there were five shootings in that apartment complex and a nine-year-old boy was wounded in the process. The risk of failure for the families that live there is always present. In 2017, Marta's husband, Serapio, lost his construction job and they were at the risk of becoming homeless and wondering how they would feed their five children. It, it, it was a moment that anybody else would, would turn to hopelessness and despair, but Marta said, why don't we make piñatas? Along the, the Trinity River, close to Bachman Lake, there, there are reeds, there are carrizos, and, and Serapia would go there and would grab some of these carrizos and bring them to the little one-bedroom apartment, and they began to make skeletons and then wrap them with newspaper and with colorful paper and make piñatas that they were selling through a broker that were making $15 per piñata wondering if they could pay the rent and the bills and put food on the table for their children. And then one time, they went to a family hope center where they learned about developing a business plan. And they learned how to market their piñata so they could bypass this broker who was making double as much as they were. And when they learned to do that and they executed their plan, they were, all of a sudden they doubled their income. And they were able to make ends meet until Serapio found another job. Today, Amanda, 14-year-old Amanda, is in high school at Thomas Jefferson. And when she graduates, she's gonna have a high school diploma and she's gonna have an associate's degree. And her dream is to go to college and be the first college graduate in her family so that she can be a math teacher. See, Amanda has hope because there's a mother who was willing to believe when the situation seemed hopeless. That's what love does. That's what mothers do. They believe when no one else sees the out, when no one else sees the hope, they, they continue to hang on. And then thirdly, love reaches beyond boundaries. That's the way God has loved us. He, he gave his son, he allowed 
his son to be vulnerable and to suffer for our sake. Jesus poured his life on the cross without any guarantee that we would love him back because that's how love is. And God's love reached beyond the limits. He, he reached beyond what people understood. He reached the unlikely. He, he loved the unworthy. He rescued the perishing. He was inclusive and comprehensive in his love. And while it was a mother's love that released baby Moses in the river Nile, it was another woman who rescued him on that occasion. Pharaoh's daughter came to the river to bathe, but she found a baby. And when she opened the basket where the baby was crying, she felt compassion for him. The NIV says she felt sorry for him, but perhaps a better translation of the Hebrew phrase is her heart went out to him. Now I want you to remember that it was this this lady's father who had given the order to kill every Hebrew boy that was born. It's incredible how, how sometimes an entire nation can hate a people group. We, we, we can hardly believe when we read the history books and we read about the Nazis and, and the way that in that uh, day Germany had turned all of their hate towards the Jews. And, and, and we see a Pharaoh here who had managed to turn his people toward hate and letting them know that these Hebrews were, were to be destroyed and to be annihilated. And Pharaoh's daughter had to have been part of that propaganda. She had to receive that kind of schooling at home of how horrible the Hebrews were. And if you ever find a little baby boy, you better destroy him. She had to have had that kind of training and education in her background. And yet, when she sees this little baby crying, she's moved with compassion. For a moment, the propaganda doesn't seem so important. For a moment, the, the prejudice and the hate and the discrimination she's been taught seems to disappear. For a moment, it seems that it's not so important whether you're Egyptian or Hebrew, but, but that here's a human baby with a heart that's beating and, and with tears that are real, with the tenderness that longs to be held and loved, and she's moved to love. She makes another risky move for this baby. Now, the other person that we cannot miss in the story is the baby's sister. She had been hiding, looking at the basket from a distance, trying to see what would happen to it. And when she sees that Pharaoh's daughter has discovered the baby, she doesn't waste a moment. She runs to Pharaoh's daughter, and she sees that Pharaoh's daughter has decided somehow that she's not going to kill this baby. And she, and she says to her, would you like me to find somebody to breastfeed this little three-month-old Pharaoh's daughter knows that if she's going to keep this baby, she needs a nurse. She needs somebody to breastfeed this baby. And she says, sure, yeah, I'd love for you to help me out with that. And the little sister runs, and she gets Moses' mother and brings her. And she says, here, I found a Hebrew nurse. And Pharaoh's daughter unknowingly says, great, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you if you nurse this baby for me. And Moses' mom accepted the job and the pay. She was Hebrew after all. She nursed the baby and they established a bond together as a mom and a son and eventually she would continue to be raised at Pharaoh's palace. God raised a deliverer for a people who were oppressed. The most likely outcome for the life of Moses was death. He was born 
where all of the odds were against him. And yet, a loving mom chose to hide him for three months. A loving mom chose to place him in a basket at the very risk of his life in the river. A loving mom chose to rescue him from that river. I'm not sure where that interference is coming. Is that me? All right. Okay. I think it's gone. A loving mom decided to believe and to hope and a loving God working behind the scenes made sure that this baby not only was saved in his life, but that he was nursed by his very mom, paid by Pharaoh's palace who had ordered his death, and grew up in that palace, knowing the best of Hebrew culture and the best of Egyptian culture, so that one day he could stand before Pharaoh and he could say, God told me to let his people go, because God's love always wins. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what you may feel like, regardless of what you may have experienced, the love of God is always at work. I wonder if you believe that. Love is risky. But hatred and prejudice and violence and all the forces of the evil one cannot overcome love. They cannot overcome the love of God. When we choose to love, not everyone will understand. When we choose to love the way that God loves, not everyone will agree, but, but we need to know that love always reaches beyond boundaries. That's what moms do. Moms are not always understood. Moms are not always appreciated. But they love beyond boundaries because that's what love does. Because that's the way God's love is. So regardless of what the circumstances might be, moms, Remember that God's love is always redeeming. When you've done the right thing, God has been guiding you. When you've made a mistake, God has filled in the gap for you. His love has been behind the scenes, filling in when you haven't been able to be your best. Because of the certainty of God's redemptive love, we can risk and we can release. We can live with courage and with confidence. Because God's love reaches beyond boundaries, we can reach beyond boundaries. We can go above and beyond. Today, I want us to remember that God, his love always wins. And that when we love in him, we will experience that victory. My invitation to moms today is that today you will rest in the power of God's love. That as you think about all of your efforts as you think about everything you've done as a mom, that you will rest knowing that God's love has been sustaining you all along and will continue to sustain you. Today I want to invite you, if you're not a mom, to, to think about how it is that you can honor your mom. If your mom is already gone, how you can honor her memory. If you grow up in a circumstance where where people chose not to love, that today you can say, but I will change that cycle. I will choose to love even when others did not. So how is it that you could make a choice today? A choice for God, a choice for love, a choice to win. Would you bow your head with me?
God, we thank you for the way that you work, the way that your love is always redeeming when we see it and when we don't see it. Help us to, to love in, in the kind of way that, that we see in the scriptures. Help us to know your love in such a way that that, that love flows through us to others. As you think about the way that God has spoken to you today, I wonder how you need to respond there in the quietness of your heart. What commitment do you need to make? How is it that you need to choose to love today? How is it that you need to choose to trust today? To walk by faith, to believe, to wait on God, How is it that you need to rest in him? You may be here and you're probably tired. You're tired of trying, trying of fighting against circumstances. And today God says to you, just rest, rest in me. God wants to say to you today, I love you. I love you and I will see you through this. Trust me, wait on me. I'm here now and I'll be there at the end. Perhaps your greatest need today is to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That is where you find this power of love that you cannot know any other way unless you make Jesus Savior and Lord. Unless you receive his gift of love in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and rose from the dead. And today you wanna to say, yes, I received that. I received the gift of love in Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. I want him to forgive my sins and to make me a new person. I want him to be my savior and Lord. I want to know his love. I want him to take away the hate and the hurt and the prejudice that's in my heart. And I want him to replace it with love and compassion and hope and joy. You can trust him to do that today. Pray right there where you are and ask Jesus to be your savior and Lord. you continue to respond to God's message, to God's word in your heart, I'm going to ask the congregation to quietly stand to your feet. And as we sing, you continue to respond. You're welcome to come to the front and kneel. You're welcome to pray where you are. You're welcome to sing. Sing along. <laughs>